Well, good morning, folks. We're uh, continuing our series through the book of Daniel this morning, and we're up to Daniel chapter 10. Um, we're quite a long way into the story by this point. Daniel's uh, quite old by now, and he spent almost his entire adult life uh, in exile in Babylon. And he's seen uh, lots of kings come and go. He's seen lots of changes in power. Um, the great king Nebuchadnezzar, who had captured Jerusalem, has has um, been humbled, um, became, becoming like a, a beast in the field. Uh, he was followed by Belshazzar, who, whose reign came to a, a sudden end when he was killed. And then the Babylonian Empire was succeeded by the Medes under King Darius. And now, in chapter 10, we meet Daniel, and there's a different king in charge, a guy called Cyrus, who was a Persian. And under each of those kings, um, Daniel has experienced quite a, a range of, uh, of experiences. He's been clothed in purple and gold and been given authority and power and luxury. Uh, he's also been thrown to the lions and he's uh, experienced quite a lot of extremes. And through it all, we've seen that he's been, been a man who's been able to stand firm in his faith. Um, each of those different situations has brought different challenges, whether that's uh, the challenge of being in power and remaining faithful in that experience, or whether that's the challenge of being persecuted and remaining faithful. In each situation, Daniel has stood firm. And I guess we can all identify with that a little bit. There'll be, there'll be times in our lives where we feel that we are clothed in purple and given rings and gold, that we've got power and authority and luxury and things are apparently going well, but that brings its own temptations and its own challenges to faithfulness. But we've also perhaps experienced times in our life where we feel like we're being thrown to the lions. And the book of Daniel teaches us about what it means to be faithful in all those different kinds of situations. What was it then that enabled Daniel to stand firm before kings and before the lions? Well, again and again, one of the things we learn about Daniel is that he has um, wisdom and he has a real sense of uh, a disciplined life of prayer of um, keeping spiritual disciplines like fasting um, intercession uh, reflecting on the scriptures and studying them hard he's a man of deep wisdom but he was also a man who experienced revelation and those two things go together wisdom and revelation Daniel was able to see things from a different perspective because God revealed things to him. And as well as the, the stories of Daniel in Babylon, um, the stories of the furnace, the stories of the, the lion's den, uh, Daniel in the courts of kings, we also get in the book a series of visions that Daniel experiences that God gives him, opening his eyes to things he wouldn't naturally see. And usually those visions are to do with the nature of kings and kingdoms, the nature of who's really in charge, giving Daniel a different perspective on the world around him, which seems to be run by a series of one empire after another, one arrogant king after another. And these visions that we read in the book of Daniel show him a different reality of who's really in charge and of what's really going on with this succession of powers that he lives with. The visions ultimately show him about God on his throne in heaven. Earthly kingdoms are seen from heaven's eye view. They're shown as being passing things, not permanent, not things that last forever, which is what the kings might believe them to be, but passing. 
And we learn through these visions that when these kingdoms ignore God, they become like beasts, like Nebuchadnezzar, when they pretend that they have built for themselves these empires, God humbles them. What seems to be powerful and permanent is revealed to Daniel to be passing when compared to God's rule. Daniel is able to stand because he has seen who's really on the throne. And Daniel 10 that we're going to look at today is one of those visions, as Daniel has shown something about the nature of kings and kingdoms and the nature of who's really in charge. But before we look at it, I want us to just reflect on that important insight. Wisdom and revelation, that the two go together. They're regularly connected in Daniel. Almost all the visions that Daniel has are connected to his discipline of praying and repentance and intercession, of fasting and of studying the scriptures. These visions don't just pop into his head during a worship service. They come quite rarely in his life, every few years or so. They come in the context of a disciplined life, a life of hard work, a life of faithfulness, even in the absence of visions, a pattern of prayer that he keeps in good seasons and in bad. And it's into that situation that we learn that Daniel is given these revelations. And that, I think, can teach us a lot about what it means for us to stand firm, that discipline and revelation are both needed and they work together if we're going to stand firm as Christians in good seasons and in bad. They're not in contradiction. Studying the scriptures and praying and interceding and the daily rhythms of the Christian life are not the opposite of the big moments of revelation, of words from God, of profound experiences. Those two things are both good and they work together. They're not a contradiction. We should be open to words from God and open to those moments of revelation. Yes, of course. But we should also recognise that they come in the context of a life lived with the daily rhythms. And I don't know about you, but I find those the harder things to keep the daily rhythms of prayer. It seems almost easier to be faithful when you're getting the big visionary experiences, the big moments, and harder to be faithful in the day-to-day things. But the story of Daniel is one of a man who keeps those daily rhythms in good seasons and in bad. And yes, then also has these powerful moments of revelation. So we shouldn't neglect those regular patterns of praying, of fasting, of studying the scriptures, of seeking after God in the little inch by inch daily things of the Christian life. So what about chapter 10? What about this uh, great vision that opens the final visionary section of the whole book? From here to the end is one extended long vision that, uh, that Daniel has. Well, we had it beautifully presented to us a few minutes ago. We, it's a story of, of one of these great visionary moments that, that Daniel has. But notice how the story begins in the first few verses. We're told it's the third year of King Cyrus, which is about 536 BC. Um, Cyrus, the Persian king, has by now issued a decree allowing the exiles from Israel to return back to Jerusalem. It's a longed for moment for generations. The people have been hoping for this, to be able to return to their city, to return home. But we find Daniel not in Jerusalem, but walking beside the river in Babylon. This big return, this big moment that they've been hoping for, 
has proven to be a bit of a false dawn. Maybe like the uh, the end of the first lockdown, the big moment we were all hoping for, and it turns out that it wasn't the big end. And perhaps there was more. In fact, who, who of us could have said a year ago that we would still be here talking about this 12 months later? So maybe we've seen a little of, of what a false dawn can feel like. And this is a false dawn on a national scale. For years and years, the people have been hoping to return. And that great day seemed to have finally come with Cyrus issuing this edict saying that they could go home and build the temple. But it's a bit of a, a disappointment. Only a small group has gone back. A lot of the people are still in exile in Babylon and Daniel's among them. He's stayed behind with the others. And he's hearing reports from the returnees in Jerusalem that the city is in ruins. The temple is a mess. And there's opposition locally and internationally to rebuilding it. You can read that story in the book of Ezra if you want to hear a little bit more about the opposition to building the temple and some of the sadness that came with the fact that, in truth, the glories of the Temple of Solomon would never be replaced. What does Daniel do with this disappointment, this false dawn? Once again, he returns to prayer. He keeps going with his rhythms and the chapter opens with Daniel walking beside the river Tigris in Babylonia. Once again, fasting and lamenting and praying for the state of the people of God. And he's doing this for three weeks. This first month of, month of the year contained the feasts of Passover and unleavened bread. It was a, a time not unlike Lent, actually, a time of self-denial, a time for remembering God's deliverance, a time for remembering the Exodus, which was connected in their minds with this return from exile. And it was a time for asking for words from God of assurance and revelation. And so that's where we find Daniel in this first month, praying and fasting. And it's then that he has another vision. Once again, it's a vision that exhausts him. <laughs> Three times the passage tells us how tired he is and how he has to, has to be strengthened. And again, he has a vis vision of an angelic figure. And this is not the first time he's had an angel vision. He's, he's already met Gabriel a couple of times. And you can read those in, in chapters eight and nine of Daniel. But this one in human form, dressed in splendour, comes to Daniel and seems to be even greater still than Gabriel. And this one like a son of man, this one like in human form, strengthens Daniel and prepares him to receive a revelation of what is really going on. And the figure tells him that his prayer, Daniel's intercession for the people, was heard from the very first day. But the answer to it has been delayed. I'm sure we can all identify with this, of having prayed for something earnestly, perhaps for weeks and weeks and weeks, and feeling that the answer was delayed, that there was just nothing but silence from heaven. Believing that God is in control of history, that God is sovereign and he reigns, doesn't allow us to read history like some smooth progress towards God's purposes. There is conflict, there is delay, there is pain. And Daniel ex experiences this. And the one that he meets in this vision reveals to him that the reason for that delay in this instance was that there'd been opposition from somebody called the Prince of Persia. 
it's hard to be precise about exactly who this is, but and maybe we shouldn't try to be too precise, but it gives us an idea of how spiritual warfare, as we often call it, really works, that Daniel's prayers are connected with battles happening in spiritual realms. This shows us there is a spiritual dimension to earthly history, that the succession of empires that Daniel has experienced is not all there is. There's a spiritual dimension to this going on and that his praying, his daily acts of praying, have been engaged in that battle, whether he could see it or not. Human leaders plot and scheme and overthrow, and they think that it's all down to their power and their skill. And what Daniel reveals to us is that there's another aspect to this. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and it happens through the apparently ordinary things of daily intercession, of praying for God's people, of praying for the world, of engaging in that very mundane, it seems, daily pattern of praying and of fasting and of repenting and of calling out to God. And those things, Daniel finds out, have been his engagement with a battle beyond his imagining. And this partial and dissatisfying fulfilment of God's purposes that the, in, the, in the return from exile, this small thing that seems to have happened, this, this false dawn, is not all there is. There is more to come. God will be faithful to his promises, but along the way there will be more conflict. And the following chapter, chapter 11, goes on to describe the details of these conflicts as more kings will come, more kings and their kingdoms, the military and political battles of the time, leading right up to the rise of the Roman Empire. Daniel learns that the full end to their exile is some time off yet. But in learning that, he is also given an assurance by his vision that that end, God's kingdom, is coming. And that through it all, God is in control. What this book teaches us is that arrogant rulers will come and go. We will have seasons in our own lives of happiness and seasons of struggle. Our own mini exiles, our own disappointing false dawns. But we will also have assurance that in all that, God is in control and that his kingdom will come. Knowing this doesn't mean that we simply sit back and take whatever comes our way. We don't believe in fate. We don't just respond with que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Knowing that God is in charge, having that wisdom and that revelation, Knowing that his kingdom will come gives us confidence to intercede and to pray, to engage in a spiritual battle through the discipline of prayer every day. We keep praying, we keep interceding, we keep reading our scriptures and asking God to reveal things to us. But ultimately, our trust doesn't depend on those big revelations or even in the answered prayers. Our faith depends on Christ. The life of the Christian is a life of faith in Christ, who has died and has been raised, is on the throne and is coming again. And so we do not lose hope when the answers don't come. Whether we find ourselves clothed in splendour or thrown to the lions, we do not lose hope because we know the one who rules the world. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus seems to have grasped something of this and, and speaks to them about their life of faith as the people of God. 
And he, he has this wonderful prayer that he tells us of. And with this, I'm going to close. And you can read this in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.